If you will, find Isaiah 61.1. This verse ought to be very familiar to our church. This is our mission statement. I'll read it to you. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and freedom to the prisoners. Let's pray together. Father, help me to be a plain preacher today, so plain that a child would understand me. Help me to be in tune to your Holy Spirit, any word of knowledge you give to me, to speak to a person or their situation. Lord, if you prompted me with it, I want to be obedient to speak to it. And then, Lord, you look at all of us today. You see me differently. I'm your teacher. I'm your preacher. On me is a greater judgment uh, than anybody in this room can put on me a more strict judgment from you. And I know that, and I accept my place in rightly dividing your word. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray his name that I preach. Amen. You can be seated. It's good to see you guys today. We started Hope Church in August of 98. And in the 90s, there was a great big movement for all the businesses to have mission statements. You would see them displayed in elevators and you would see them on walls and even on the bills that they would send you it was a mission statement so we started hope church in august of 98 i i really thought we would start with a few people uh maybe 50 people um and we we would have time to just grow a little bit by little bit uh for many of you who've been a part of us for these uh 25 years, uh, you know that's not true. We started with almost, the, the, our launch Sunday had almost 400 people show up. So every plan that I had was just thrown out the window. I mean, we've, uh, we've really been running uh, uh, since that time in putting things together. But one thing we did is we, we, we climbed on board with having the mission statement of the 90s. And so we didn't just throw a dart somewhere and say, okay, this sounds good, let's do this. We gave it a lot of thought over a long period of time. And our, this became our mission statement. So it's central to, it's central to what we do. We, we really, even just in a very casual right way, we, whatever we do, we run it through this uh, just to see if it fits. So you need to ask the question, why is this our mission statement? We need to deal with the why. I want you to look at Luke 4, 14 through 15. I want to set up the why this is our mission statement. So then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He had just been in the wilderness being tempted by the enemy, by Satan. News about him spread throughout the entire vicinity, and he was teaching in their synagogues, bringing... Uh, being acclaimed by everyone. He was becoming very, very popular. Uh, so he's been in the desert. He's been tempted by the devil. He's, been, he's handling ministry. He's being known. Now he's headed to Nazareth. Nazareth is his hometown. And he goes to his home synagogue. We pick up the story with verse 16. Uh, it said, he, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read it. There's, a, there's an order of service in the synagogue and there's an area called the reading. And so this is where they had gotten to in the order, to the reading. Uh, verse 17, the scroll of prophet Isaiah was given to him and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, which is Isaiah 61.1. He found that, verse 18. 
It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of the sight of the blind to the blind and to set free the oppressed. And then verse 19, he did this to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then in verse 20, he then rolled the scroll up. He gave it back to the attendant. He sat down and all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, today as you listen, uh, this scripture has been fulfilled. Verse 17 is very important. You may miss it. He was handed the scroll of Isaiah, but he found Isaiah 61.1. He looked it up. He found it. Uh, after he read it, rolled it up, gave it back to him, sat down. Verse 21, things start to change. He began by saying to them, today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Uh, now he's saying, this is me. Isaiah 61.1 is about the promised one. About the one who's going to come, going to be king, going to set him free, going to give him abundant life, eternal life, all of that. And so he's declaring that I am this son of God. I am the promised one. Did they love that in his hometown? Mm, they didn't like it at all. Not really. There was unbelief. They got to discussing among themselves. Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this Mary's baby? Isn't this? And so uh, who is he, one of our own, <clears throat> to be brought up to declare that he is the promised one of God? So they became enraged. They drove him out of town. <clears throat> Excuse me. They got him to the edge of a cliff, and they were going to throw him off the cliff. But uh, he declared it wasn't his time, and so he was able to pass through the crowd and not be thrown off the cliff. So why is, it, why is this our mission statement? It's because it was his mission statement. <clears throat> this is his picture of declaration that he said to the people. So let's look at Isaiah 61, one, let's walk through it. A lot of verses, hang on to me if you're taking notes. You may just need to write the verse down. We can fill it in later if you want to. But let's begin with the first part of Isaiah 61, one. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is on me. Uh, the spirit being on him is a, is a place and a life of authority, and it is a life of power. Uh, and you're going, well, that's good, that's for Jesus. I want you to know that through Christ, it's intended for you too. My, my professor at Fuller, Charles Kraft, wrote a book, uh, I Give You Authority, and it is based on the authority that God has, and he bestows it upon his people, and it is an authority over darkness. So there is authority there, and there's power on him there as the promised one of God. He says, secondly, because the Lord has anointed me. We'll spend a minute here. Messiah, the word Messiah, the name Messiah means the anointed one of God. So in the Old Testament, you hear the word Messiah, means the anointed one of God. In the New Testament, you hear the name Christ, and it means the anointed one of God. So Messiah in the Old Testament and Christ in the New Testament both mean the same thing. When Jesus is referred to as Jesus Christ, it is a, it is a reference that he is the long-awaited Messiah. <clears throat> Excuse me, he is the anointed one of God. So 
We, I want to show you three other places where uh, that Jesus is got the seal of approval of the Father to be who he is, the anointed one of God. Uh, look at Peter's declaration in Matthew 16, 13 through 18. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, <clears throat> he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? I mean, he's wanting to know, what are they saying about me? And uh, they said, some say you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, others say you're Jeremiah, or you're one of the prophets. But then he goes, well, who do you tell them that I am? Uh, he, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, which Christ, which means the anointed one. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus responded to Simon, uh, son of Jonah, you are blessed beyond, you are blessed because uh, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you, uh, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the forces or the gates of Hades or hell will not overpower it. Uh, my, my wife, Julie's here. We've, uh, we've had the opportunity to stand in this very place in Caesarea Philippi. And, uh, and Julie sang there, uh, upon this rock, I will build my church. It's a, it's a moving time for us. But this is also where Simon Peter gave the declaration, you are the son of the living God. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. And I'm going to use you to be able to build the church. Then let's look at Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3, 16 and 17. And uh, Jesus was baptized. He went up immediately from the water. We believe in immersion here. Uh, and uh, we get it from this verse. We also get it from the worst verse because he comes up from the water. Also, the word baptized means to emerge or to submerge. Uh, and um, so it says the heaven suddenly opened for him. He saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and uh, coming down on him. And then there came a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. May have been the way you learned it, but I take delight in him. Uh, so we have God saying, I, I, he has my seal of approval. Look at Colossians 1. I love Colossians 1, one of my favorite chapters. It describes Jesus. There's no more collection of the description of Jesus in one place than in Colossians 1. But we go to verse 19. For God was pleased to have all of God's fullness, his fullness, dwell in him, me and Christ. And so not only is the spirit on him, authority and power, but we also, the Lord has anointed him and set him apart. I'm a, I'm a well-educated country boy, but I'm still a country boy, and here's what I wrote down for us. Uh, talking about Jesus being the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, uh, we don't have another Savior, and we don't need another Savior. Right? He's all we need. He is our Savior. He is... He, is, has the, he has the anointing and the Spirit of God on him. Then it tells us what he does. He becomes the preacher. It says he is to bring good news to the poor, back to Isaiah 61.1. It says he brings good news to the poor. He said, I, I'm, I'm going to bring good news. Uh, good news is the gospel. 
That's what the gospel means, good news. And the good news is centered, the gospel centered around the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. It, we go to the cross, we can't go to Jesus any other way. We know Jesus takes us to the Father, but we don't go to Jesus any other way than through the cross. It, it becomes a crossroads for all of us, pun intended. Uh, it, it is there. It is there where our steps of direction are taken next. And, and so in this, we also know the resurrection is central to the gospel message, that he conquered death for us. So the cross and the resurrection is central to our preaching. But it is all of it, all of it about he being the anointed one is he is our only point of rescue. He is the only way we can be reconciled. Yes, we need a savior, but we also have a savior. And it, Jesus is not one pick out of several people. He's the only pick. And you're going, well, man, that's just what you say. Well, that's what his word absolutely declares, that there is no one else under heaven and earth by which a man, woman, boy, or girl can be saved than through the person of Jesus. You know, uh, when I do this, usually it's the first of every year. I go over core values, I go over our strategies, I go over mission statement, I go over the big five. Uh, next Sunday, I'm going over the Hope Arrow, and then we'll be moving into our Lent season. But I do this every, every year, just as reminders to you, we heavily handle every bit of this in new member training, among other things, <clears throat> but we handle this as well. And uh, I, I, wanna, I wanna just bring to you a teaching that we recently brought up. You remember we, we were in John 15, and it said that all we have to do, we are the branches and he is the tree, and all we have to do is make sure that the branch is connected to the tree. And he said, you will bear fruit. But uh, he prunes, he's the gardener, he does what he does, but he prunes you to be more fruitful uh, and to produce eventually much fruit, he does that. But then there are limbs that are dead and they're not used to anything, so they're cut off. I just want you to know that teaching is, is pretty central through the gospels. So we were handling that in John 15. I want us to look at Matthew uh, chapter seven, verses 16 through 20, and we get a picture of this again. This is still all under good news, okay? We're still talking about he came to preach good news. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? <clears throat> In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. All we gotta do is make sure the branch, we are the branches, and that we're connected to the tree, and that's him. And it'll, it'll be fruitful. Now, we'll, we'll get into this kick, don't judge me. Uh, and, and the Bible says don't judge, and the reason it says that is because the way you judge other people, you will be judged. All right? So, but I'm not the judge. People think preachers are the judge. I'm not the judge. I, I won't make an eternal decision about your life. I will not do that. I will not give an account of your life, nor will you give an account of mine. I will give an account from my own. And I'm gonna be found in Christ because that's, he, he is and has become our life, my life. But 
in this, people go, well, don't judge me, preacher. Well, I'm not judging you. I'm not saying I'm ever going to be a judge, but I'm going to tell you what I can be. I can be a fruit inspector. <clears throat> you know, I can be a fruit inspector. Uh, I know when pears are ripe. I love pears. I know when they're not ripe. Right? I, I, I'm, I'm not judging, but I can see if you are producing fruit or not. And let me, we don't produce fruit and we don't look, and we don't inspect the fruit by the bumper stickers you have on your car. All right? We do it by how you live. Do you produce fruit? Uh, and it's, if, if we're in the spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, we've been there before, that the fruit of the spirit is love, peace, joy. Those are, those, those are evidence that the, the branch, we are the branches, are connected to the tree. So I want you to see there's a continual central teaching about all of this. But uh, you, you can get bad news. We're still talking about good news. But you can get really, really bad news uh, I know that uh, we've received bad news before. Our family has. I shared this in the first service when <clears throat> Tom was uh, our son-in-law. Laura's our daughter. And uh, when, and not all of you know the story, but most of you do. And I, 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 I say it in an assumption that you don't know our story. So uh, Tom had cancer. He had Burkitt's lymphoma. It's a rare form of lymphoma and a very aggressive form of lymphoma. So there's like all different kinds of lymphoma. So he had Burkitt's lymphoma. And uh, uh, they were going to immunotherapy and, uh, and just really trials. And they say about trials, uh, they can either heal you or kill you, one of the two. It's, it becomes one of two ways. And... Uh, so they went to Kettering, which is in New York, and they were there. They had a friend, and they stayed in, their apartment was empty. They stayed there, and uh, uh, they were getting news that we didn't know about, and uh, it was good news. Tom's tumor was, eventually got as big as a volleyball, and it was pushing on all of his organs internally, and he had bags, bless his heart, he had bags taped all over him, legs and and all just ports and everything. He's just miserable. And they finally said, Tom, we can't do anything else. You know, we just can't do anything else. And Tom and Laura had a decision to just stop, you know, stop treatment. They were getting that place we had, and Julie and I distinctly remember when we got that phone call. And uh, they stayed in New York a little longer, but we, we, got, we got bad news. And I, I know you have an indication of the worst news you could ever receive. As parents, it could be about our children, it could be about a spouse, it could be a lot of things. But I, I wanna show you the worst news you could ever hear, okay? I know there's bad news. I know there's things we dread, and I've had to be a messenger of some of those, those bad messages to people before as a pastor. But I want us to look at Matthew 7, 21 through 23. This is the worst news you could ever hear. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Scary. But only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, do miracles in your name? And, and you're going to come back to me and say, go back to the next one, Kim, the first one. And, and uh, you're going to come back to me and you're going to say, well, well, preacher, look all at what they did, and they did it in the name. Let me, there's power in the name of Jesus. Do you understand that? 
There's just power in his name. And, uh, but he's, he's saying, even though these things happened in my name, you were not connected to me. The branch, we are the branches. Wasn't connected to the tree. So then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. And uh, I, I was at a church last night. I'll tell you about that later on. But I was preaching at a church. And uh, I was just like, just because you're a member of a church doesn't mean that you have the gift of eternal life. And a lot of times in our culture, we just get it so flipped. Uh, it's about a relationship with Christ. And then it's the fellowship of a church. But some people think they have a relationship with a church. You don't have a relationship with a church. You're in a fellowship of a church. We're in a relationship with Christ, who's the Messiah. The, he is the anointed one of God. So it's not we ditch Jesus and we all of a sudden are just in, and we think we're in a relationship with the church. It's a relationship with him. And then it's a fellowship with the church. But you don't do one, you do both. And he, he says, you know, I never knew you. Depart from me. You lost. This is the worst news you could hear. I know you, you would say, well, the worst news I could hear would be this, this, this. And I, get, I get it. But from my worldview, the worst news you could hear would be that I absolutely never knew you. Here's the good news. You can belong to him. The promised one has come. And he is our savior. And he came to rescue us. And he did it through the cross and the resurrection so that we never have to be sacrificed and we don't have to encounter death and the full blow of death. He has done that for us. He has a desire to rescue. He has a desire to give you the kingdom that he wants you to have. And he came to rescue. He's empowered to be able to rescue. Now, I'm going to go back to my country boy a little bit. You all say I play on that. Uh, I do play on that. I got a sticker from the Osbournes. It's on my computer, and it says I'm as country as cornbread. <laughs> it's on the back of my computer. And I love being country. So let me put it to you this way. If you surrender to the promised one of God and let him rescue you, who is Jesus, so then the good news is that you're in a relationship with him and you'll never, ever have to hear the worst news. You know, uh, the good news is I can be with him and never hear the worst news. Look at Matthew 25, 23. This is something we are going to focus on in 2024. He's, this is what we want to hear. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. Uh, well done. That's what we want to be able to hear right? Yes, make sure the branch, you're the branch. We are the branches. Make sure it's connected to the tree and you're going to be able to produce fruit and have a fruitful life. He finishes this segment about good news and he says we are to preach it to the poor. Poor in poverty, yes. Poor in spirit, yes. Uh, J. Alec Motyer wrote, I'm just, uh, just using two words, don't forget the downtrodden and the disadvantaged. Remember them, which is a segue to our next segment in Isaiah 61.1. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Um, we're going to focus on the word sent. 
because that's what he does with us. He tells us to go. And uh, we focus on the word sent because that means we're on mission and we're on task, that we have something that he wants us to be able to do. Uh, I, I caught you up with Andrew, uh, our son, Julie and me, our son, biological son, but your son in the ministry. And Andrew is now church planning for the whole state of Kentucky with the Kentucky Baptist Convention. And uh, so I, I love the way he maneuvers me. Uh, he, had, he had a series of conferences this week and uh, he, uh, he signed me up for it without asking me. Thursday in Lexington and just sent it to me uh, and that I'd already pre-registered. So that was his way of telling me that I'm going. So I, I went, saw some people that I hadn't seen in a long time. Uh, the guy who was leading it, for those who know my life, uh, and you know me very well, uh, a lot of you do, uh, the guy that was doing the conference was from Boston, Massachusetts. And his name was Bland Mason. And so Bland and I got to talking, and I, I was in Boston, leading revivals in Boston, and uh, that was around 1995 or six. And it was out of being in Boston that God just took a bite out of me to plant this church. I came back from there to, with a vision to plant this church. It came from our time in Boston. And so for those of you who know me, Bland and I got to talking, and yes, we knew somebody together from Boston. Uh, the guy we knew was Ignatius Mamaris. He's actually from Greece. And he was a personal friend and encourager to us uh, in planning this church. And Ignatius is already with the Lord now. Uh, and you can tell it's a Greek name, Ignatius Mamaris, right? And uh, he was the planner, uh, the, great, the church planner for Greater Boston. And so Bland and I were talking, and uh, then we were able to know that we, we knew somebody together. So he did, he did well in leading the conference. But in the conference, this was shared, and it came from Andrew. I, I, what I'm giving to you comes from him. And when I saw this creativity, I was going, man, that's not from my side of the family. <laughs> you know, I, I can tell you that. So this comes from Andrew. It's original with him. And uh, we're going to put it on the screen. Uh, if you put the slide on the screen. is uh, So get your phones out, all right? Get your phones out. We're going to do so. I know you got them near you. And you're going to make an alarm. And uh, we're going to read the verse. Uh, he told them the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And it is Luke 10, 2. So Andrew creatively designed 10, 2 uh, as an alarm. So I set it Monday through Saturday on my phone. Uh, it doesn't make any noise. You can set it. You all know how to do that. You can label it. So put a label on your phone as pray for planners, pray for laborers. Notice the harvest is there. We're not praying for the harvest. We're praying for laborers. You can use this to pray for people in ministry, pastors that you had, pastor that you have, uh, churches, our, our international, the orphanages that we help support monthly, uh, it could be people who, whatever. You, you see what I'm saying? And uh, one thing Andrew brought out, he said, uh, I can be with people and this, this alarm goes off, not, not audibly, but it shakes at the table. And they're going, well, what is that? Do you need to get it? He said, it becomes a great conversation piece. 
Will you join me right now and let's pray for laborers? He said, pray for laborers. So you all are looking at me kind of strange. I don't know what you're doing with your phones. Are y'all putting that in there? You look in this, you'll get this at the end of the service too. So this is a way that we can be on mission and, and be sent, is to be reminded to pray, and the alarm is gonna match the verse, to remind you that the harvest is already big. But pray for laborers because they are few. And this is one way we can come together. The, the promised one of God, the Messiah, the Christ, he is sent. And so are we, and we're on mission. Back to the verse. It says that he is to heal the brokenhearted, to bind them up, to give them care, to give them gospel care, to give them truth care. You are to care for them in those ways. He says, and who do we do this to? We do it to the brokenhearted. Uh, those who have lost hope. Those who are wounded emotionally. Uh, they carry a lot of baggage in their life. And don't, don't act like you're not one of those people. We can all carry it. And we've got to give it up. That's why the... That's why Peter wrote, cast all your cares on him because of your anxieties, because he absolutely cares for you. When it comes to brokenhearted people, we want them in our lives, and we are sent to them. I know you'll, you'll want to dodge those kind of people. You'll see them, and you'll want to dodge them. I, I, I'm not equipped to handle them. I don't have the time to handle them. But we are actually sent so we don't heal the brokenhearted anyway. We only connect them to Christ to see that they come together and truth will be able to heal their heart. So he is sent to heal the brokenhearted. And lastly, I'm gonna put both of these together out of Isaiah 61.1. He is proclaiming liberty and freedom to the captives and to the prisoners. He preached freedom. It's more than a national freedom. I wish other countries had what we have. I do. I don't want to just keep it to ourselves. But his freedom is without boundaries. And it's based around the teaching of Jubilee. It's based around the teaching. Now, you, I have a question. When Jesus is in his hometown and he's reading Isaiah 61.1, they ought to be proud as punch of him, you know? So what, what's in Isaiah 61.1 that made them so mad? It's because when he got down near the end of this, where we are right now, and he said, I'm the promised one of God, I'm the anointed one of God, when he says that, that is what ticks them off. And it is the, pre the preaching here of liberty and freedom has the picture of Jubilee. I'm not gonna make the sermon about Jubilee today. You can look it up on your own. It's in, you can read it in Leviticus 25, but it's seven year, seven times sabbaticals. It equals 49, and then the 50th year, they celebrate Jubilee. And when it comes to Jubilee, uh, it is announced with a trumpet blow. The word jubilee means ram's horn. It means it's, it's a trumpet. It would be a shofar for a lot of you if you understand that. And it's the year when slaves, if you own a slave, you have to release them. If you have debts, you cancel them. All your debts are canceled. Sounds good, doesn't it? I'm, I'm, uh, land is restored. In other words, it goes back to its original owners. 
uh, that there's a newness that comes with Jubilee. The, the rest of the land was not only you had to save up your, your grain and your food for that year because you didn't work and you didn't tend the soil and you let the soil renew itself. And we do that today by just changing crops. And those of you who farm and in this area, you know, you know how to do that and when to do that. It's your land can only handle so much of one crop for a, a few years and then you switch it to another so that there's some regeneration to the soil. But here it was rest. It was rest to the land and it was rest for people. Um, it balanced out their economy. In other words, it took it from Owen, 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 Owen to zero. It balanced out the economy. It balanced out the land. It was a way that the rich did not have power over the poor because the clock was set back at zero. And uh, it became a new start. It was also a way to declare lordship. In other words, to remind us that it's not ours to begin with. <laughs> right? Now, you sound really excited about Jubilee as much as they did. I'm not saying that everybody did this. And I'm not saying that everybody was excited about it. It was just a picture on how to balance out everything and bring restoration to it. But that's what he's preaching at the end of Isaiah 61.1, where it talks about liberty, it talks about freedom. It is a picture of personal jubilee. And here's how he preached it. It is that he came to pay your sin debt. He came to cancel out your debts. He came to break the chains that bind you. He came to remove you from darkness to light. The word freedom can be that you're in a dark prison cell and you're in darkness and then you're moved out to the light. Uh, I, I don't look forward to February. I know the weather, I'm happy for everything, don't get me wrong, but February can seem like 60 days long to me. And it can be gray and gloomy, and I'm looking at the Weather Channel app because it's got a 14-day forecast. And when I see the sun, I need the light. You know what I'm saying? I got I to gotta have it. And it's good for our emotional health and our physical health as well. And, but then it means you have to mow, right? Uh, you're going to have to mow a little early. But, it, but in that, it is, he gives a message of personal jubilee. You're no longer a slave. You no longer own a sin debt. You no longer are bound by the chains of sin. You are set free. And he's saying, this is what I do with you. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. Remember, we started Isaiah 61.1, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You're no longer in a dark cell. You have run to his marvelous light. And not only that, sin debt's paid. Chains are broken. The sin chains are broken. It's not freedom for me and you to do what we want. It's freedom to do what he wills in our life. And he's coming, preaching a personal jubilee for all of us. And that excites me. All things are made new. It's not about me and you being better. It's about us being new. And thank God, his mercies are what? They are new every day. And I thank him for that. That we live 
in a year of the Lord's favor, which is Jubilee, has come to us because Christ has come to us. So it's our mission statement because it's his mission statement. And our message is you can experience Jubilee. It's good news. And part of the good news is I never have to hear the worst news. I get to live in the good news of who Christ is. Amen, church? So we come to the table today. We offer communion with you today during our invitation. And it's not our table or my table. It's his table. And uh, the spirit in the book of Revelation says, the spirit and the bride, they say, come. So we come and remember him, his body given to us, paying the sin debt for us, the wrath of God, facing it for us. And we take that bread and we remember his body given. We take this drink and we remember his blood shed. Without his blood shed, there'd be no forgiveness of sin. And we're forgiven and we're free. He's the promised one of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one. The spirit of the Lord is on him. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Not to do what I want, but to do what he lives and he wills. We're out of darkness and we've run to his marvelous light. When you take this communion today, give thanks for his body given, bloodshed, and thanking that you and I can live in the time of Jubilee. Debts are canceled. Chains are broken. We are forgiven and we are free. Amen. We pray over you. Father, I pray over our people today. Thank you for them. Everyone that is here, Lord. And Lord, I'm just the messenger. I'm just the preacher. That's all I am. I'm not the judge. I'm just the preacher. We stand before you. And today, Lord, we come before you thanking you that you paid our sin debt. You broke the chains of sin. You have given us freedom. And that freedom is to follow you. And Father, I pray that every life here is a fruit-bearing life, giving glory and honor to you, and then telling the story of how you have given all of us jubilee, the day of your favor. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray, we pray together. Amen. The Spirit and the Bride, they say, come. Church, would you stand? The team is going to lead us. You come, take communion, go back to your seat, and we thank you for being here in his presence today.